I ruined it there, didn't I? Um, tell us, tell us about, a bit it. about that and how. <laughs> it's the story of this show, mate. It really is. Hello and welcome to episode 145 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star, but on this weekly podcast, I chat to the true rock stars, my fabulous guests and chums, to share some marketing street knowledge that I hope will inspire your inner rock star. Come say hello. You can find me and all my guests and the show notes at rockstarcmo.com. And we are Rockstar CMO on the socials and proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. It's Saturday, the 17th of December, 2022. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a good week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. In this week's episode, I ask our resident rock star advisor, Jeff Clark, to pick his favourite predictions. Todd Irwin, Chief Strategy Officer at Phaser Returns, to chat about branding. And we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tap. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. On to our first segment, The Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our resident rock star CMO advisor and former research director at Forrester Serious Decision. Ian, how are you doing? Do you want to come into the uh, studio? We're recording uh, Christmas songs for the uh, holiday season. Of course, of course we are. Of course we are. Yes. Well, um, I, it's it's now the time where I can I can wish you happy holidays or happy Christmas. Happy holidays. Celebrate. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, and uh, and happy New Year's. Um, you know, because I, I, I won't be here until uh, until we get into the twenty twenty three season. I know I was going to break that slowly to the listener, Jeff. But, uh, <laughs> so, sadly, uh, Jeff will be away for two weeks after this week, so um, we're going to miss a bit of Jeff. So, um, yeah, I don't know why I'm bothering to uh, do the podcast for two weeks. I mean, everybody's here for you, I Jeff. Don't know, but yeah. yeah, but I'll be I'll be investigating marketing trends in Norway. So, <laughs> I'll come back with some inter- interesting information and some of the finest seventies tunes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe so, some ABBA. Uh, <laughs> and you're um, you're flying into the teeth of, of cold weather, aren't you, too? Because we're all obsessed with the weather. So we're, we're, we're having a bit of a frigid freeze here, but you're going to the Nordics, aren't you? Yes, I am. So, for, uh, for yeah, well, season. it'll be cold, but we're prepared. We have all of our winter weather gear ready to go. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful there. It's beautiful. Finland, isn't it, or Norway? Norway. 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 Lovely. Lovely. Yes, don't get them all right. confused. They're very different. No, I wouldn't. No, I mean, I know better than that, right? Because I live near here, near there, and I've been to all of those countries, and they're, they're um, just lovely, just lovely. And especially this time of year with the Christmas markets and all that good stuff, I think you're yep. going to have a great time. Obviously. Anyway, Jeff, uh, before you jet off to uh, to the land of um, Saint Nick, because he lives in um, he lives in yeah, Norway, he's he? yeah, way up. <laughs> Way up. Way up at the top. <laughs> um, it's, um, we, we can't escape the fact that it's prediction season. Um, and I've, we've talked a little bit about predictions and stuff over the year. But I know that you've plucked out four for us to choose from, not to choose from, to discuss this To week. discuss. So, and offer so, some advice. Yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, it, it's almost as, uh, it's as traditional at this time of year, isn't it, as a, as a potluck lunch or, a, or, or some... Or, 
Yeah, or likely Whatever. sweater party or any of those things. <laughs> <laughs> it's marketing predictions. So uh, where should we start with these marketing predictions? You've come up with four, and I've actually got some notes on, on what, what you've come yeah. up with. So should we start with your first one, Jeff? What's your sure. first prediction? Well, and are these are in any order? Are they, are they are, they, just... they are uh, I mean, there's two that actually relate well together, but they're not really mm-hmm. in any order. It's not certainly uh-huh. not priority uh, order. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, and the first one relates to what we were talking about last week when um, mm. it, I mean, one of the things because we were talking about marketing technology, but one of the the premises was that that people are really going to be um, more focused on their uh, current customer base and their customer right. health, and and um, so one of the things that I heard one of my other colleagues from from uh, the Forest Days, Ross Graber, talking about yeah. related to that was that. You know, even though you know this might be a priority, very few companies. There's only ten percent of companies put a customer health metric on their CMO leadership dashboard. Or you can wow. say CMO is only only ten percent of CMOs put that on your dashboard. Yeah, yeah. And and which is you know so there's a major um, uh, major mis uh, misstep there mm-hmm. because if we are really focused on on customer health. Then um, you know that we need to be saying what's marketing. You know what's yeah. basically what are the trends and how is marketing impacting that? Right. Uh, let me so let me let me hold you on that one for a moment. So customer health is really important for us at the moment, right? Because we're predicting there's going to be a recession next year, right? So customer correct. health is getting a lot of focus at the moment. So this yep. is a this is a post by Ross Graber from Forrester. It's time to measure customer health for your executive dashboard, which will include a link to in the show notes. So what are the sorts of you know, we need to show this on executive dashboard is what you're saying, right? And is that is that the role of marketing then to do that, do you think, from a customer health perspective? Well, the, anytime, so certainly, I mean, there's a, certainly a couple of reasons for it. One is that marketing is taking a, you know, a greater responsibility mm-hmm. in customer yeah. experience and things that relate yeah. to customer health. Um, yeah. Secondly, the content of your you know, if a CMO is putting together a dashboard that they're sharing mm-hmm. with the executive team, so not necessarily mm-hmm. just their internal, you know, dashboard, mm-hmm. but what they're sharing with the executive team, it really should be driven by the corporate goals. And so if one yeah. of the corporate goals is to make sure we're measuring and impacting customer health, then, mm-hmm. then you know, that's that's got to be on there. And mm-hmm. one of the things that we used to, or, you know, I used to um, advise companies on was kind of like, you know, with a dashboard, however you're putting the dashboard together, whether it's in yeah. PowerPoint or whether it's on an analytics yeah. tool, is kind of like think about what are those four, five, six big customer goals, and then you know, apportion a part of that real estate on the dashboard to to those goals, and what are the what are the set of metrics that you can that you can put together right. that shows right. you the trends, and then shows you also what marketing is doing to impact those yeah. trends. And if, if it's possible to actually show a correlation, you know, like yeah, we're yeah. doing more with customer references and social advocacy, yeah. et cetera, like that. And by what you can see that our customer satisfaction scores and our NPS scores all are right, actually increasing. All right, let's get on to that then. So, so, so weirdly enough, like you say, 10% of CMOs leadership dashboards only have customer health, have customer health, have a customer health metric on their executive board. Which is weird because almost every organization is going to talk about customer satisfaction as being a top organizational key, yes. you know, OKR, all that kind of good stuff, right? So what are the metrics do you think we need to consider to get onto that board? Well, certainly there's the overall um, satisfaction and health. So mm-hmm. customer sat, uh, NPS scores, um, sales may have a, some sort of sales you know, indicator of a health mm-hmm. score. Where are we with the account? Um, right. And there's any number of ways of trying to do that. And then mm-hmm. you'd say, okay, so what are some of the marketing tools yeah. that we can work with that, that may be impacting some of those scores, that, such uh-huh. as the number of you know, do quality references, the number of you know, case studies, the, uh, the number of advocates. You know, if you're using mm-hmm. a, a, an advocacy tool and you're looking at the engagement in mm. social or an engagement on um, – uh, in, in other forums by your advocates. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, actually, if you just also look across, because this is one of the things that I've done in the past, is look at customer engagement overall. Look over all the various you know ways you have mm-hmm. of touching a customer. Can you look at the engagement and say, oh, you know, we see if we see a decline, 
we need yeah. to make sure we we highlight that right. so that the proper account management can take take action. Right. So you're looking deeper and beyond just CSAT and MPS, right? You're, yeah, you're actually absolutely. looking at some of these absolutely. other metrics. All right. All right, cool. Yeah. So that's our first prediction. And um, we probably, yeah, you know what we're like for time. Um, and what's <laughs> the, what, so, so the prediction is it's time to measure customer health through your executive dashboard from uh, Ross Gaber at Forrester. What, what, what's the action from that that we need the to do? The action is really to deliver on that? is to define, well, for one, understand what that, what that yeah. priority or corporate goal is and then define yeah. develop meaningful met customer health metrics for uh-huh. the presentation you know and make yeah. sure you've got goals set and you've put you know these high level measures on the dashboard uh and and it you know it it, it, it obviously there may be a, an aspect of the technology that you're using where are you pulling the information from that you can mm-hmm. actually establish these metrics and keep them right. up to date Cool. Okay. So let's move on to number two. So what's your second prediction? Well, number two is probably a prediction that is, uh, I think we've seen on the the charts for the past couple of years, which is customer experience is growing more important. Uh, And this comes from Marketing Insider Group. Uh, I think it was Mm -hmm. a gentleman by the name of Michael Brenner who wrote the post. Yeah. And and the thing is that this might be a kind of a duh statement, but what was in the in the report was reciting another report from PricewaterhouseCooper mm-hmm. that said that 73% of people say that customer experience is an important factor, but only 49% think companies provide a good one. Wow! Right. So there's a, there's a gap there. Yeah, there's a there's yeah, a yeah. there's a gap, and and you know when you dig further into it and you look at some of the other sources that that a lot of the the gap is that there's a real skill shortage, uh, which is challenging teams that, you know, that are in charge of customer experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so the lack of skills, whether it's design thinking, experience design, survey design, journey mapping, you know, all these, mm-hmm. these are all things that are, you know, not, they're not simple. Uh, they're not yeah. simple skills. And, and so, you know, you may put the wrong people in charge of these things. And it's really important that you, you know, you get a handle on how you're, you know, how you're looking yeah. at customer experience and how you're actioning the ways you can improve that. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? Because the first two there, right out of the box, there are about customers, right? And it's also, I think, your point there that, oh, duh, customer experience is growing more important for customers. I mean, when has that ever not been true? So that's interesting there. But I think that there's a lot of pressure on on us right now isn't there that our existing customers are you know retention of customers is going to be very important right now yep yep yeah and and what also again cited in this in this article was the fact that that the definition of what uh marketing is in charge of is continuing to expand and 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 if companies who've um had improving customer experience as one of their goals. And it's like, well, nobody else is doing this and sales is too yeah. focused on, on the revenue number and supports too focused on their issues. Yeah. And so, so this ends up going to marketing right. and marketing has to be able to, to, um, so, you know, so put the, the team CMO, together. Yeah. So the CMO is becoming the advocate for the customer then internally yes. at a senior, senior level. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the CMO, so is that is that the action that that we as, that as, as CMOs need to start to look at? I mean, it's so easy to get drawn into demand gen and brand and yep. all that kind of stuff that you're being asked to by the CEO. But you know, as everybody knows, if we can retain your customers, you've got less of a pressure on on demand generation. So, what 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 is it that we should be doing then to make this happen? Well, the C, so one, the CMO needs to take control. So that, as yeah. opposed to sitting back and waiting for someone to say yeah. who volunteers yeah. to take this. They need to yeah. take control. Um, they need to staff up with the requisite skills. Um, there's yeah. just no doubt about about if since that's that seems to be yeah. the major gap, and it may be helpful to have an outside consultant or an analyst firm. I know this is one of the things that you know you could go to a Forrester or a Gartner or a number yeah. of organizations to do some sort of skills gap analysis. You know, what are the mm-hmm. skills we need to have? What do we have? What do we currently yeah. have? Uh, what's the gap? And then you know, kind of pursue. Uh, from a hiring perspective to get people in there who can, you know, build the strategies that, uh, that differentiate you, um, mm-hmm. you know, and certainly you don't want to just, you, you fall into the ugly trap of we're trying to mm-hmm. model ourselves after the CX leaders like an Amazon or an Apple yeah. and let's do what they do. I mean, you really have to yeah. make sure again, you know, like through journey well, it's, mapping it's the- and, and looking at the data, 
that you are yeah. trying to improve a yeah. process that your customers want to follow. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's delivering on the brand promise, isn't it? It's, yes. it's when we always talk about brand is the fact that it's it's everything about an organization, including the customer experience. So, yeah. And then when you talk about Amazon and Apple, you know, people walk into those experiences full of brand brand promise, don't they? And, and you need to you need to do the same thing. So what's so that's the that's the second one, um, uh, which was called. Customer experience is growing more important for customers, and it's by Michael Brenner on Marketing Insider Group. What's your third? Third one, which relates very much to the last one, is cross-functional collaboration teams yield worse outcomes. And this comes this, from, from Gartner. <laughs> this, really, this really stood out to me when you, when we were, when you shared this one that, that we were going to talk about. That just doesn't make any sense as a sentence, does it? Cross-functional collaboration yields worse outcomes i mean you would not expect that so what are the what are gartner suggesting i, I think well the, the you know what they found uh in their survey that there were these uh, 405 the majority of their uh, marketing mm-hmm. leaders they interviewed said that teams that worked independently kind of more in a functional model right. outperformed the teams that were working as collaborators so you know cross-functional right. And yeah. and while they believe in the collaborative approach, they're less likely yeah. to you know succeed in what they're trying to do, whether it's customer acquisition goals or as we were just mm-hmm. talking about with your know, customer yeah. experience is by definition a cross-functional collaboration mm-hmm. effort. I mean, even if marketing mm-hmm. takes ownership, you've got to work with everybody yeah. around the company to to improve yeah. it. And and one of the other things that struck me about this is because I was I was listening to a, a, a another podcast which i yeah. you know i don't want to admit that i listen to another podcast but uh, <laughs> i was listening to another podcast and and there was a guy who uh was a um involved in um computer science uh you know, mm. innovation and he was yeah. saying you know it's interesting that our collaboration tools that we think of email slack chat yeah, things like yeah. that have yeah. not yield productivity improvements and so you know right. we've sort of assumed that they are but but yeah. we're, you know, we're getting into this, this, you know, this problem for knowledge workers where practice, the, the way we're yeah. working in terms of kind of the constant interruptions is reducing yeah. our ability to actually be effective. And so I think that the, in his recommendation, part of my recommendation here is you got to be thinking about the process um, mm. of how people are working in addition to the fact that you're having them, you know, collaborate. Yeah. And yeah, and yeah. there's lots of aspects to how, you know, managing cross-functional teams, um, you know, I mean, a lot of it comes out of the sort of agile marketing world where mm-hmm. it's like, you know, you need clear executive support. You need clear, measurable goals. You need a work environment that enables team members to concentrate on their deliverables, not get interrupted yeah. by, you know, meetings and other things. And yeah. uh, and you need to ensure they have you know dedicated leadership that's focused on the team productivity because it can't be you know we're we're, we're assembling this cross functional team and we're putting the director of digital marketing on charge of it. I know he's got his yeah. day job, but we're going to have him run this thing over here too. Uh, yeah. That's just that's that's a recipe for so, the team not making its, its goals. Yeah. So really, the prediction is poorly run cross-functional collaboration <laughs> yields worse yes, outcomes, right? which is which is even more of an obvious statement really, yes, isn't it? yes yeah. yeah but I, I i can't remember that we were talking about it on the microphone or whether we were just talking about it off air last week we were talking i think we mentioned the fact that you know this um in the interrupt the tax uh, the, the pro- work work the productivity tax on interruption is huge, isn't it? Like, it's huge. Um, Absolutely. I was talk- talking about, you know, some early stuff that I used to read when I was doing product management, which is um, from Joel Spolsky. And he would, he would talk about, you know, it's 20 minutes or so that it takes a developer to get back into the, into the groove. And he would advocate developers have their own offices. Anyway, and that was before Slack. And that was, uh, yeah. you know. So and that's one of the, the chief responsibilities mm-hmm. of somebody running an agile team is to yeah, get yeah. the interruptions out of the way. And, you know, anything that's going to, like, yeah. stop them from doing their work, get it out yeah. of the way so yeah. that they can uh, be that's productive. Just, that's just, I mean, and it's a it's the forgotten art of management, really, isn't it? That it sort is. Of thing. It is. is tra- how do you enable your people to be as productive as, as is, is right for them? All right, so that's cross-functional collaboration yields worse outcomes. What's the fourth, Jeff? Fourth. And not le- not last, uh, one that's <laughs> near and dear to my heart is greenwashing yeah. becomes a financial risk 
Okay. This comes from our friends at Forrester, so we're back with the mm-hmm. Forrester crew. But yeah. um, they noted in the past 18 months, 10 companies, including some really big ones like a BNY Mellon, Keurig, mm-hmm. uh, Walmart, were fined uh, between $1.5 and $5.6 billion wow. because they were making claims about what they were doing from a sustainability perspective that, that were not actually true. Yeah. Uh, and um, the uh, like last year was the European Union found that half of green claims lacked any evidence. And, wow. and so, you know, there's, you know, you know, they actually are looking at the, that they're, you know, there's likely going to be 10 companies that will incur, uh, you know, $5 billion or more mm-hmm. in fines in the, in the coming year. So wow. this is definitely, you know, the, the prediction is, uh, people are going to be caught. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. so get yeah. your house in order and avoid the risk. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want the hit to the bottom line that that causes. Well, the other thing as well, I mean, the financial risk I would imagine for firms with this greenwashing stuff is actually customer and prospect sentiment, isn't it? I mean, I, I guess, I guess a, a, a massive, you know, global campaign that talks about green credentials and you get fined a million dollars, I would imagine for a huge organization that's probably, it, you know, you can probably take the hit, right? But you're you're but absolutely you right. Yeah, yeah. But you can't take the hit. Is the the brand reputation that the tarnishing? And I think, it, I mean, I was surprised to learn about this actually from from when when we were preparing for this because you'd think there'd be a bigger deal in the press, wouldn't you, about this kind of stuff? You'd think that if you if you you'd think that they'd be all over this stuff if somebody was doing the greenwashing thing and and got found out. So, so what is it that we need to do then, as CMOs, to make sure that we don't well, get busted? I think- so, you know, the CMO really has to create um, sustainability communication messages yeah. that have integrity. So, you know, yeah. don't make claims that are unmeasurable and transparent. You know, it's uh, – and, and so, therefore, you've got to go through the the rigor of understanding what are we trying to measure, what what's mm-hmm. the company you – know, don't – let's not try to, like – Overdo mm-hmm. it by misstating bold claims. You know we're going to be yeah. carbon neutral by 2035, yeah. and then it's like you find you're backsliding. Um, yeah. You know, let's you know yeah. everything. You know, it's it's. I think your point is right on the money. Is that the bad yeah. press? And I think the bad yeah. pr- the the this as an important press item is only going to increase mm. in yes. the future years. So yeah. the bad press is not worth the the hit it's going to take on your on your reputation and yeah. and it's it's what's interesting is it to me is in this in context of some other things where you're seeing mm-hmm. uh companies like a lot in the tech space that are you know the ceo gets you know caught doing dumb things or whatever mm-hmm. F, the ftx scandal and yeah. it just it erodes people's trust in Absolutely. corporations and so yeah, yeah. You've really got to work hard to stand out and make sure you're mm. one that uh, that is willing to stand up to your uh, your your pronouncements of what you're doing for the global community good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, I mean, these sorts of things like marketing ruins everything, isn't it? The trouble is, yeah. is everybody starts everybody starts to believe nobody, and uh, and it, and so you need to work even harder if your if your green credentials are authentic, yeah. right? So, yeah. yeah. All right, so that's so that's our four, and I'll include uh, links to all those in the show notes. So that's a that's a different kind of four to what I've been reading. Actually, it's a nice broad mix you get there. Focus on customers with measuring customer health, customer experience, importance. Interesting thing about cross functional teams from Gartner, which I think is yeah poorly poorly run cross functional teams don't yield results. Well, there's a shock. And then <laughs> I think but I think this greenwashing thing is important. I think we all need to pay attention to this. So I'll, as I say, I'll include links to all of these in the show notes. And then so the final um, uh, thing on our agenda before you whiz off to the wonderful Nordics is what song are we going to do this week, Jeff? Well, I believe actually you had suggested this one. <laughs> Gorillas yeah. ends with a Z. Their song nineteen yeah. two thousand. I, I, yeah. I don't know how they came up with the name of that. Maybe that was <laughs> it was probably you know the the serial number on the the tape they were using. Um, uh-huh. But it, uh, I mean, it's got a theme about the world is spinning too fast, but I'm keeping my groove on. So all these things are a lot of these things are failure of people to just do the right work. So yeah. if you're doing the right work, keep your groove on. I love it. That's All right, mate. Well, I'll play out with, yeah, I can't remember what year that is, actually. And we didn't put it in the notes. So I'll, I'll add that when I do the edit. But so um, Gorillas 19, 2000, 
I'll play it with that. And um, and then I'll speak to you in a couple of weeks, mate. You, you have awesome. a wonderful Christmas and New Year. You and, too. And, and enjoy uh, your family out there. And um, and I'll speak to them. And uh, happy holidays to everybody out there. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why am I saying thank you? Get to the people out there. <laughs> I'll just grab anything. Really. That's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. I'll see you then. Bye-bye. The world is spinning too fast. I'm fine that I get shoes to keep myself tethered to the days I try to lose. I let my mama said to slow down. You must make your own shoes. Stop dancing to the music of the days in a happy mood. Thank you, Jeff, and that was Gorillaz with 19-2000 from 2001. I hope you've enjoyed Jeff's contributions this year. I certainly have, and he'll be back in the new year. And please let us know if you have any topics you'd like us to discuss. You know where to find us, rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's time for me to go backstage with my guest, Todd Irwin, Chief Strategy Officer and Founder of New York-based brand strategy and creative agency, Phaser, who we met back in episode 137. If you missed that episode, Todd has over 30 years of brand strategy experience with companies like Coca-Cola, Nikon, Verizon, Walmart, Pepsi, as well as a host of SMBs and early stage funded growth companies. And with this experience has developed a compelling methodology that delivers business to brand strategic alignment that positions companies more competitively in their market. We promised to dive into some of the topics we discussed last time. So it's great to have Todd back. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Todd. Welcome back to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm good, Ian. Good to see you. Good to see you too. And we had you on episode 137 last time. And for folks that, for some reason, didn't listen to that episode, tell us a bit about yourself. Um, I am the chief strategy officer at a branding agency in New York called Phaser. F-A-Z-E-R is how you spell it. Um, and I've been doing this stuff for a while, about 20 plus years of uh, being either creative director, chief creative officer, chief strategy mm-hmm. officer now for branding agencies, working with all types of companies, large, small, in the middle, all that stuff. Yeah, <laughs> That's me. yeah. we had a good discussion about your career last time and the sort of work that you do at Phaser. Yep. And uh, I am not going to make the Star Trek reference this time, not <laughs> One. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it, it's funny because when we were coming up with a name, it, you know, in the, yeah. it didn't come up. And so, uh, you know, it's all about phasing, right? Are you unfazed yeah. by a brand? Or are you phased by a brand? That's where the, that's, no. that, that was the concept. And, and no. somebody said to us, well, what about the Star Trek phaser? <laughs> hmm. Well, that's kind of well, cool. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad I wasn't the first idiot to say it, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so last time. Last time you were on, we were talking about branding, and the reason for having you back is you. I, I noticed that you published an article for Branding Mag, which um, yeah. you share quite a lot of these in LinkedIn. So I've become a bit of a fan of this this Thank magazine. You. And we were talking about the ROI of branding, and you've written art, the article you've written, and it's got a great title: "The Secret Brand Strategy Apple and Starbucks Won't Tell You." Sorry, depositioning the secret brand strategy Apple and Starbucks won't yes. tell you. I ruined it there, didn't I? Um, tell us, tell us about, a bit it. about that and how <laughs> it's the story of this show, mate. It really is. Um, <laughs> tell us about um, how how just recap how why brand is important. You know what was important about this article for you? Well, I think anything that we do, um, you know, from a insight standpoint, is about you know just delivering valuable information for business owners. So. Uh, you know, for us, you know, depending on who we're talking to, um, you know, it's what kind of information can we deliver that's going to help them grow their business. And, you know, specifically in that article, you know, we're talking about a brand strategy approach, depositioning, mm-hmm. um, yeah. uh, which is an approach to brand positioning, which most companies do. <clears throat> my, you know, my thing is or my opinion on it, uh, which is in that article, is that uh, is that deposition? I believe depositioning. I believe is the most effective way to position a brand in a market, and it's quite a complicated process uh, to figure out how to do that. Um, mm-hmm. It's a core of what we do as a company. Not to get overly promotional here about us, but um, <laughs> okay. 
yeah, we know it works. Uh, we know yeah, it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so. yeah but, and, and as you say in the article, right, and I think this is interesting, this is where we are actually as an industry, isn't it, at the moment? There are a bunch of approaches that everybody's talking about around branding, yeah. around uh, disruption, differentiation, relevance, unique selling propositions, personalization, all the buzzwords. And we're hearing a lot about brand purpose at the moment, which we'll get onto in a bit. Sure. Which, what's the most important for you? And where does that fit in with this idea of depositioning, which, again, we'll expand on in a bit? Well, I mean, depositioning gets to the heart of relevance. Okay. I mean, all those right. things are important, you know, uh, differentiation, disruption, so forth and so on. But yeah. relevance is, it's the reason people buy, right? They, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when they get onto the street and they're looking to buy, uh, there's a reason. They either have a desire for something or they're trying to solve a problem, right? A pain yeah. point. Um, and depositioning gets to the heart of that. <clears throat> um, the, the process of getting to depositioning is figuring out um, what are the most relevant things that a customer is looking for, right? What's the mm-hmm. pain point that they're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. And then because most competitors are looking at it that way, they're all trying to sell that same thing, right? They're trying to sell, sell that fast, shiny brand. Um, with depositioning, it's the intersection of those two customer things, right? The desires and the pain points. And then also looking at the competition in the market and figuring out, okay, what are their weaknesses? And mm-hmm. how do we do a good job solving the problem for the customer and at the same time um, highlight the, the, the different, uh, the highlight the negatives of the, co- the competitors. Right. So you're shining a light on the competitor weaknesses, essentially. Right. right. That's at the heart and, of the position. Yeah. yeah. And in the title of the article, uh, you, you, you mentioned Apple and Starbucks specifically. So why do you think they're nailing it when it comes to depositioning in that respect? <clears throat> well, Apple's nailing it with privacy. You know, mm-hmm. they, um, uh, they were up against uh, Google and uh, Facebook and um, and Amazon with their home technology. You know, Siri was first to market, um, yeah. but really Amazon won, Alexa won, and Google was was in second place. And Facebook mm-hmm. did a good job too. Apple lost, and Apple never loses. So what did mm-hmm. they do? What they figured out what the pain point um, was that those companies had, which was transparency. People were concerned that. Alexa was listening to me. So um, Apple turned that around on them and Mm -hmm. they positioned their brand around privacy and they've been doing that for about five years now. It's a classic example of uh, depositioning that's worked. Um, If you look at their stock price, their valuation since they've done it, it's just, you know, and, and of course I'm not, uh, saying that's the only reason their valuation has increased, but <laughs> it definitely has worked for them. I mean, Tim, Tim yeah. Cook's a bit of a genius. Yeah. It's incredible, isn't it? Because whenever yeah. you have a conversation with anybody about brand, it's always about Apple. But in this, yeah. th- this is a very specific strategy they've taken, isn't it, around privacy, which yeah. isn't just about the standards of why does everybody love Apple? Well, quality of products, blah, 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 Steve Jobs, blah, blah, blah. Um, but actually, this is a very deliberate seems to be a it very is. deliberate strategy isn't it yeah brand strategy. It, it is and they've you know they've they've um, positioned their brand since the beginning around this idea called usability right it's mm-hmm. the best design product it's easy to yeah. use it's so simple it's ultra ultra simple this is yeah. this was steve jobs thing right i'm going to make yeah. a better product that's easier to use whether it was the you know uh, uh the walkman you know read yeah. you know, uh, or yeah. whatever right i mean that's what he does so this yeah. is a big shift for them um, mm. Again, they didn't lose that part of their story, right? That usability mm. factor, it's still there, yeah. but they're leaning into privacy hard. Yeah, I mean, you know, yeah. yeah. And, and also, I think we might have mentioned this because we briefly mentioned this thing, I think, last time we chatted. Yeah. But I, what I like about it, it, it's so defensible for them, isn't it? Because um, <laughs> nobody, if, if anybody tries to replicate that story around the other big techs, the rest of us will laugh, right? Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, the story that I always tell is, uh, you know, five years ago, the terrorist attack in Orlando, Florida, you mm-hmm. know, all those people were killed at that club and they, um, the, the law enforcement, uh, they killed the terrorist, but they found his phone and the FBI mm-hmm. went to Apple to unlock the phone and Tim yeah. Cook said, no, I won't do it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, yeah. you can't, you can't attach yourself to a brand positioning better than that. I mean, he owned privacy when he made that decision. Yeah, 
yeah, pretty yeah. cool. So that so that was Apple was the example that you used in the article. You've also written a white paper on this, which I'll also link to, by the way, in in the show notes. Um, you talked about Starbucks too. So how well, how are Starbucks using this depositioning strategy? That's a great story, Starbucks. I mean, Howard yeah. Schultz, another you know so smart. Um, who was the you know the big elephant in the sector? It was Dunkin' Donuts. Fast yeah. coffee, 50 cents, you know, yeah. in and out. But it's an eyesore in the community. Uh, the brand was you know, kind of cheap looking. People, nobody yeah. wanted a Starbucks. I'm sorry. Nobody wanted a Dunkin' Donuts on their corner. Uh, you know, Howard Schultz's story is, you know, he's in Europe. He's going to cafes in Italy and so forth and so on. And they just had this different vibe. You know, people went to cafes. They spent the day there, right? Mm. They, they had coffee. They Eight, they hung out, they did business, right? And he thought about it. He's like, I know I can kill Dunkin' Donuts here if I come back with the same strategy. And so he depositioned yeah. Dunkin' Donuts. He created Starbucks, right? You go there yeah. um, and uh, you can get all those things. And and conceptually, which I thought was really brilliant, what I think is really brilliant, mm-hmm. is this, this idea that they came up with this positioning concept called the third place, which yeah. is you've got home, you've got work, and you get Starbucks. Mm-hmm. They build their brand around that. They also, the theme of it is about community, right? Community of people, but also the way that they design their stores into communities is quite brilliant. Um, uh, it's never an eyesore. It's always it's yeah. always a welcome thing. So, yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's, a, great, it's a great example of depositioning. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, we talked a bit about depositioning last time, and you touched on some of the some of the elements of it in terms of being relevant to your um, audience and your customers, and how you position yourself against your competitors. When you're working with clients and you're introducing this depositioning idea, where do you start with them? What What are the things you're looking for in a brand in order to do this depositioning? Yeah, I mean, it's deep dive research. We go, yeah. we go right into it. Uh, you know, analyze the customer, right? Figure out what are they looking for? What are those pain points? So we're doing pain point workshops uh, with yeah. our clients. Uh, you know, we're looking at the market, you know, unpacking the competitors, right? What are they delivering as far as the product goes? How are they satisfying their, their customers? And most importantly, to get to a depositioning strategy, what are their weaknesses? What are they not delivering that we can deliver uh, better? Um, and so, a lot of times what happens is when you're doing this, uh, you know, when you're doing projects like this, um, it it filters into product design, um, solution yeah. design for companies as well. We've had that happen quite a bit. You know, we're, you know, we're, we're focused on brand strategy, but it rolls into business strategy and product strategy. But it all starts with like deep dive research, um, figuring out what those pain points are, desires for the customers, the weaknesses for competitors. And once we have those figured out, uh, then we get into uh, get into the scrum with clients and figure out like what's a concept that we can come up with from a messaging standpoint, similar to, you know, Apple's privacy, Starbucks is yeah. uh, the third place. Um, what is it for that client that's going to work? Uh, uh, and that's, yeah. and then we build it, we build it out. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because there's a couple of things there from what you were saying. One is, is this idea that increasingly people are talking about brand as in yep. it's actually a company strategy. It is, is no longer just marketing, right? It's if you're going to make these promises, then you need to live by those promises. Your product needs to fit that promise the service that people get needs to fit that promise. So are you finding that is more, more prevalent where you're talking to a, a, a client where they say, oh, my God, we're going to need to change something else about our business, not just the words we use or the creative? Yeah, happens quite a lot. And, yeah. uh, and they love that, by the way. Uh, leader, leadership loves that because what it does, is it creates this, this sense of belonging for the employees uh, it gives them it gives them an internal purpose as a company. Uh, yeah. They you know they uh, they see churn lower amongst mm-hmm. employees, uh, and, and more people wanting to work for them, uh, especially when the work uh, gets you know pushed out into market. So yeah, yeah it's a, it's a highly highly positive experience for companies when they do it and they yeah. do it right. Yeah, and do you see a disconnect sometimes where the marketing team have got this aspiration they want to be seen as something, but but you, all your research reveals is actually you're an everyman brand or you're a this brand and you're trying to be something different or you're trying to, in my world, you're trying to sell to the CMO when actually it's somebody much lower in the, in the food chain that's buying your product. Do you find sometimes there's a little bit of an adjustment you need to make in terms of expectations there? Yeah, I, I, you know, 
they're always coming to us <clears throat> with uh, problems, right? You know, it's, yeah. their messaging's not working for a reason. They yeah. think that they're saying the same thing that their competitors are saying. It's working for the competitors, not working for them. You yeah. know, why is it not working for us? Trying to figure that out. Um, yeah. I, I think the, the the biggest issue that we see is that I, the <clears throat> uh, leadership on the marketing side. Uh, uh, at, you know, with the clients that come to us with new projects, um, they're just trying to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. Um, yeah. And so there's yeah. a lot of replication of messaging and sales yeah. tactics. Um, and this is where differentiation comes in um, yeah. and why differentiation is important. Uh, but getting to a place where you are different uh, takes takes positioning, the position. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And and just to, I mean, I think we chatted about this last time, but it's B2C and B2B, isn't it, for you? That's it's right. a wide range of industries that you work work with. Is there much difference when you when you do these kinds of um, strategies with your clients when it is B2B to B2C? Or is it is basically this, the, the, the strategy you take or the work that you do with them pretty similar? Yeah, the approach is the same. It's the same yeah. exact approach, 100%. Yeah. Every, yeah. every company is different. Every sector is different. But the approach yeah. is always the same. You start with the yeah. research, uh, you dive deep into it, then you go into strategy. Once you have strategy, you build out the creative, whether it's just yeah. messaging or whether it goes into visual identity and visual storytelling. Uh, but it always it's always the same process, 100%. Yeah, yeah. no, it's fascinating. This depositioning stuff is fascinating. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move on now to another article that you shared. You didn't write this one. You just shared it on LinkedIn. And I liked it because it was about brand purpose. And, uh, and you chucked brand purpose into the Rockstar CMO swimming pool last time you were here, our portal to marketing hell. <laughs> and the, the, the article you shared was, and I, again, a great title. I don't know what this branding mag does, but they, they, can, they, they certainly inspire some great, great titles. I love them. <laughs> purpose should be a business imperative, not an agency award strategy. And it was written by a guy called David Baldwin. And I'll include a link to that in the, in the show notes. Now, sure. I presume you agree. So where are you right now? I mean, I know you chucked this into the CMO Simple, but Rockstar CMO Simple. Where are you right now on brand purpose? I think brand purpose is very important. Um, mm-hmm. You know, but when it comes to uh, how important it is, uh, I have a bit of a contrarian opinion on this. Uh, <laughs> a lot of agencies uh, lead with, you know, uh, purposes, the end all be all, the most important mm-hmm. thing out there. Uh, mm-hmm. I do think it's important. It could be, you know, secondary or tertiary in, um, in you know, how important it is. I do think, though, that uh, brand positioning and depositioning is the most uh, – well, I think brand positioning is the most important thing uh, yeah. to consider uh, when coming up with a brand strategy. I do believe that depositioning, like I said earlier, is the most effective way to approach brand positioning. Um, I've see, We see this a lot where clients come to us and say, oh, you know, we did this project with this agency, and it was all yeah. about coming up with our purpose – it's not moving the needle for us. We don't understand yeah. why, right? Well, it's yeah. because you're not figuring out the thing that's the most important, which is how do you solve a customer pain point, right? right. How do you right. how do you deliver on what they're looking for, right? And then yeah. how do you do it in a way that is going to uh, be better uh, than your competitors? You know, getting yeah. and that's and that's the thing about depositioning it works so well. Um, yeah. You're essentially getting them to say yes about you and no about them. Right. Again. Purpose is important. A company should have purpose. And so we mm-hmm. do purpose work as well. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to do uh, these things in ways that are different, important as well. But what's the most, where do you start? And mm-hmm. that's, and that's my thing is that where you start is you start with brand positioning and, right. and, uh, and that most effective approach to it. Right. Right. I just just um, listening to you chatting there, and we, we, we're talking about positioning and depositioning. Yep. In a nutshell, what's the difference between positioning and depositioning in your mind? Yeah, so brand positioning is how you position a brand in a market, right? Yeah. Uh, David Ocker is the, uh, the king of positioning. Uh, mm-hmm. He's written all these books on it. Um, uh, you know, I recommend all of his books. Um, <laughs> depositioning is an approach to brand positioning. I would say that, you know, leading with brand purpose or trying to find uh, something different uh, or you know, differentiation is an approach to brand positioning. How are we going to position our brand in the market? We're going to just be different than everybody else. That would be an yeah. approach to it. 
depositioning is an approach to brand positioning. It's not one right. or the other, just to be clear. Right. Right. Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, oh, we're, we're coming up for time. It's always splendid spending some time with you. Yeah, you too. And I'll include links to these articles in the show notes. Okay. And um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs and they want to look for you, where are they going to find you, mate? Um, Phaser, F-A-Z-E-R dot agency is our mm. agency. You can find me on mm. LinkedIn, um, either through our website or directly on LinkedIn. I'm not going to give out my telephone number on this. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I'm, around. Come, <laughs> I'm sure they can I'm find a, you so easily. I don't think I think I don't think most people spam people by email by phone anymore. Anyway, I think just just letting people know you're on the internet is bad enough, isn't it? They'll find you. They'll track you down, fella. <laughs> All right, Todd. Well, it was splendid having you on, and I look forward to having you on again. And if I don't speak to you before, enjoy the holidays, and I'll speak to you in the new year. Right back at you, Ian. Have a good one. Cheers, Todd. Bye bye. Thank you, Todd. I will, of course, include the links to those articles we discussed in the show notes. I've got no association with the Branding Mag publication, the one we just discussed, but I've just discovered it, and it's worth a look at brandingmag.com. Right, it's time to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and be transported away for a cocktail and a marketing thought with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. Uh, you know, it is, it, it, as they say, it's almost Christmas time. Mm. Uh, and so as we wind down the year and we get ready to maybe take a break from things and yeah. settle back, um, it's, it's maybe the most important time for us to sit in the bar and drink a lot of drinks um, because it's a you know it's a time of I find it that it's a time of reflection it's also a yes. time of celebration it's also a time of commiseration um, depending on how your year went uh, and it's uh, it so fast. it's, it's yeah it's, it's a particularly it. poignant uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> punctuation if you will to yeah. the bar um, and is, as such, I have a Christmas cocktail for us mm-hmm. uh, to drink. Um, and it, you know, I know you lament when I don't bring tequila out. So we, we will bring <laughs> some tequila out here and we will make a Christmas margarita, which of uh, course is a, uh, we, the best thing for, you know, of course, red and green being the classic Christmas color. So how do you get a red drink? The easiest way to get a red drink is to use pomegranate. So this is technically a pomegranate margarita, but we'll call it the Christmas margarita. Uh, It is relatively simple. Uh It is exactly what you would think it would be. Pomegranate juice, which is probably a little harder to locate, especially for you, of course, but uh, but I'm a little harder to, to locate in, uh, in London than it is here in California. But pomegranate juice, use a Blanco or a Reposado tequila is my advice because that will not overpower the drink and, and really um, make it much more of a sweet, wonderful Christmas margarita. And then I like to add a little Cointreau into this just Ooh. because it will sort of take a little sweetness out and also yeah. uh, just add a little, a little, you know, a little zhuzh of something. Yeah. And then of course, a little bit of lime juice just to add in a little bit of lime juice mm. and if you prefer a sugar rim, uh, that's great. Uh, you could also do a salt rim if you're kind of bold. Um, but then uh, adding a garnish of orange into the top of that, serving it on one rock uh, is lovely. And it makes for a really fantastic Christmas margarita. That sounds great. And do, they, do the ingredients separate? So you've got the red and the green sitting there. Uh, not really, no. <laughs> not. <laughs> So it's just a ready greeny drink. I love that. All right, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick some some rocks into it. Becomes into red. It is it red. is a red drink. Let's put it that oh, way. And you can garnish with something a a little green, such as a nice. lime or such yeah. as a, a sprig of uh, mm. Christmas tree. <laughs> if you nice. have things laying around, holly think, is always good yeah. for, for a nice garnish. We, we were talking before um, I clicked record about my unpreparedness 
for the conversations we have. And really, I'm unprepared for Christmas drinks too, because I am going to use the ingredients of my desktop bar to remake your drink. And I'm, yeah. I'm of course, going to use the most English of, uh, of tequilas, which we both know is Hendrix Gin. That's right. Stick a bit of that in there. That's right. And then I think you've mentioned about pomegranate juice before. And I think that we found that pomegranate juice, the most English of pomegranates was the cucumber. Mm. And, the, and the people that are best served to juice it, I think, are the people at Fever Tree, who not only juice okay. the cucumber, they put it in tonic water for me. You, you they... absolutely should get a sponsorship <laughs> from them. <laughs> I'm working because... on it. Because... Yeah, it is. You are a brand loyal. You are you are nothing if not brand loyal. (laughs) Well, I think if I mean, how many times I don't know how many times we've done this joke. I mean, it is longest running joke on podcast history. I think I can probably claim like Guinness Book of Records. That's right. But um, (laughs) 50 years from now, when we're still doing (laughs) this, people will go, "Okay, the joke's a little tired now. (laughs) Until then, we're going to run. We're going to run this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Until somebody tells me. So, listener, tell me if if you still think this is funny. Um, And but uh, I remember when um, our friend of both of our shows, Dennis Shaw actually reached out to some of these brands on Twitter to see, to track them over to me. And oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, do you remember? It was a, I, I mean, that's so very Dennis, though. That's that's the kind oh, of thing that he oh. would do. Yeah, it's a very nice fella. All right, so I've, uh, I've given this a taste. Uh, it's delicious. I could drink one of these every week. I suspect What are we might. calling this? We are calling that the Christmas margarita, although technically it's a pomegranate margarita, but... Because it's Christmas and because we can do such things, because we have creative license to do so, we'll call it the Christmas margarita. Nice. I love it. And uh, where shall we be drinking such a Christmas margarita? Well, that is a great question, but Mm -hmm. I, I, I think primarily we should be thinking about home at the moment. Nice. Um, because this is the time to be home. And so I think. Really, as we think about this, it's best if we have this virtually, you in your home and yes. mine in mine, and, and yes. we, we cheers each other in the virtual, virtual bar. It's sort of a bit of a meta concept, yeah. if you will. It's the virtual bar, but it's the virtual version <laughs> of the virtual bar. And we I, have this be so that we can immediately have our discussion and then move to our families to make sure that we're spending the proper and quality time with them. Yes. Well, there's two points to that. One is, is um, for listeners that haven't listened since the beginning, this was this was a lockdown project, right? So that was the whole point of the virtual bar to be transported away somewhere nice while we're all locked down. So it's nice that it's made that full circle back to being virtual. And the other thing is, it'd be great to it, you'll be drinking at ten o'clock in the morning, my friend. <laughs> yeah, that is that is that is true. But I mean, I don't know that that's anything new. So. For, <laughs> Maybe we'll push it out to noon, and I'll just take my first drink a little later. All right, so we're um, we're on our we're on our virtual Zoom. Uh, you're uh, you're taking a cocktail way earlier than you really ought to. What are we going to be talking about? Well, I, you know, I'm not sure if you've uh, if you've been paying attention, but there's been a little bit of news around this whole Chat GPT thing. If you, oh if yes, you... I posted about it the other day as well. Yeah. Yes, it's well, hasn't everybody? I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the. The general consensus is that the world has needed to voice their opinion on this particular platform. So I thought we'd talk a little bit about that, being that it is the pinnacle, the uh, penultimate, if you will, of the year uh, Mm -hmm. of looking at uh, our year in review. And and of course, like many things in December, we seem to get some sort of frothy thing to happen just before Christmas. Last year, I think it was the metaverse. And this year, it seems to be generative ai and the future of marketing as a result what of it happened? whatever happened to that metaverse thing the, I, you know i think <laughs> i think there's a guy named mark working on it in a closet somewhere um yeah i'm actually doing a special on the metaverse next week with uh, a couple of guys that dared me to do it on linkedin so that's what the hell are you talking about i mean <laughs> that's so 2000 how will you fill an hour i mean <laughs> That's my question. <laughs> it's actually 40 minutes. I've already recorded it. So, um, yeah, I'd, listeners, tune in. See how I managed to fill 40 minutes with the There you go. Yes. <laughs> Great. In case Robert Rose didn't just dissuade you from tuning in next week. Yeah. 
so um, so chat gpt let's get back to this and by the way yeah. i posted mine well, on mastodon so that's i i just the coolest thing right talk about chat gpt and do it on mastodon that's perfect <laughs> yeah there you go i mean and 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 put it in the metaverse there you go i think is is really is really the goal there well it's you know it, it is it is it is the popular topic right now and mm-hmm. i like like so many people have written a little bit on it yeah. and what i my thinking on it and i wanted to let it sit for a little bit yeah as i started to read and learn and and play with it actually because i got an account and i started looking yeah, at it yeah. and uh if there's anybody in your audience who doesn't know what the heck we're talking about it is a new artificial intelligence writing engine really more than anything mm-hmm. else that you ask it in natural language to write something for you or to answer a question and in very natural language and very impressive sort of we'll come back to that um results it comes back with a a written piece for you and everything from a blog post to a paragraph of text to a term paper to whatever you want you know fixing code uh it will do just about anything from the written word that you would like it to do or at least attempt Mm -hmm. to do so and uh, as we talked about there has been so much of many people in our profession who have written on this and the spectrum (laughs) seems to be running the full sort of Kubler Ross, uh, you know, spectrum of, 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 of dealing with death from anger, denial, bargaining, acceptance, and, and (laughs) and all of that. But the two extremes seem to be either it's going to completely upend marketing fundamentally forever and everything, or that it's awful and infringing copyrights and it will be fraud and and all of that too it's a magical cauldron and a wonderfulness and you should all pay attention to it and because it's going to be the most magical thing that we've ever dealt with and i don't think any of those things are necessarily true i find that it's somewhere usually in the middle of all of those things Mm -hmm. um and we can just simply go back to any of the other disruptive technologies that have worked through the creative process as lessons in this all the way back to the printing press um, mm-hmm. in, in terms of how it has changed the idea of the creative process. I mean, one of the worries, and it's a fascinating study if you want to go back and look at it, one of the worries that happened when the printing press came out was that it would enable any old hack to write a book. And yeah. there was real concern that with the ease by which books could then be printed that any of these sort of amateur writers would be able to flood the market with written words and it would bury the quality words of great philosophers and teachers etc there was real worry about that and and it's it's an interesting thing because that has really been the fear the core fears two of them for every single technology that has come along to interrupt the creative process is one there's a fear that people with no experience or no talent will suddenly be granted these superpowers that they didn't have before Um, Or second, the fear is that the human artisans in the creative process will be replaced by Mm. these hacks or by machines themselves. Mm. And in every single case in history, in human history, that has been an unproven and unfounded fear. So, yes, those innovations have removed the need for some human participation in part of the creative process. Mm. But simultaneously, almost every one of those innovations in technology has opened a gate for a new element of creativity into the process. And so I would posit that today's content creator writer is no more or less talented or equipped to Mm -hmm. express ideas with chat GPT um, and, or any other generative AI. It is still going to be the, what you do with the tool, not the tool it, Itself. It's yeah. how it changes us, not the actual change of the technology. And on that note, I, I ran so many experiments over the last week mm. in writing the piece that I ultimately wrote for Content yeah. Marketing Institute. Yeah. You know, I had it write country song lyrics in the style of heavy metal. I had it write <laughs> a first person accounting of why a romantic view of Charleston, South Carolina was warranted. Uh-huh. I had it write uh, a a you know a, a limerick in the style of dr seuss i i had it write all these things and every single time when i had it write something of any level of meaning 
including, by the way, I asked it a question about, you know, tell me about a, a marketing guy who's having an existential career crisis about artificial intelligence. And <laughs> what it came back with was impressive sentences constructed yeah, yeah. together, yeah. right? It, it, yeah. The sentences that it puts together are yeah. very impressive. It sounds very natural. It, the, the writing doesn't sound stilted. It, sa it looks and feels like it was written by a human. But yeah. the key is, there are is no human connection there. It doesn't yeah. build on itself. It doesn't. It is really nothing that resembles building a story yeah. that ultimately climaxes in some wonderful way that makes you feel satisfied for having read it. Yeah. In other words, my conclusion right now is that ChatGPT it does plot great. It does not do great storytelling, and so yeah. that's the real key here. Is that we've got time to figure this out, so we should just. Yeah ask the questions of ourselves, not of the AI, of how it's going to change us because it will open new doors, it will mm -hmm. close others, but how it changes us is still very much up to us. Yeah, it's funny because when I was playing with it, I used it um, almost as a better Google experience. So just for a laugh, because I knew that it wasn't connected to the internet. So I was wondering what sort of breadth of knowledge it had. So I asked it for the the best chicken recipe was my first question. And it came back with a, a really good looking recipe that I use myself. As you know, my, my wife's family are from Jamaica, so it's something I need to get on point. So it was uh, that. So that was interesting. And then I started asking it about the, the Dunning-Kruger um, um, uh, syndrome, right? So it was more of an in-depth thing. And I thought, well, this is good. But then I realized I wasn't asking it to write anything. I was just asking. I was, it, I was just, like I say, it was more like a better google experience i was asking it questions and it was going off and doing my research for me if you like and what i was getting back because it was written it was better than i would better than the experience i would get on google where you're piecing everything together for yourself that well that's an interesting and that's an interesting question right because it's two yeah. different user experiences yes. it's two different use cases really yeah, i mean because yeah, yeah. what you're saying is is that when you ask the when you ask chat gpt for the best chicken recipe yeah you're ostensibly assuming that whatever yes. it comes back with is the best yeah and so you're there's a level of quote unquote <laughs> yeah. trust there yeah. Yeah. that doesn't exist when you go to the google yeah. when you go to the google and you ask for the best chicken recipe what you're looking yeah. for is yeah. the source yeah. of the chicken yeah. recipe that you're about to look at and you're going to Put, adjudicate yourself what the best one is and, yeah. it, and it requires you putting those things together and so yeah. it, it's interesting someone else said um, they posted on social media which I thought was interesting which was they asked it a question uh, and it came back with a uh, an answer that wasn't right in other words right. it was an answer that was incorrect which by the way it was, right. it's very easy to get incorrect answers from it Right. and it said you know they said the interesting thing is they blamed the technology and they said, ah, this is uh, this is something that will get fixed yeah, in the yeah. future. And I said, it actually won't. I said, no. because the problem with, you know, AI is that it takes the mean. It takes the bell curve yeah. of the average yeah, as yeah. the truth. Yeah. In other words, it looks at the Internet and it says, whatever the most popular or most yeah. resonant yeah. fact is is the one i'm going to return Wasn't, and but, because it's the most it's the one most widely yeah. recognized as being accurate that's the only it's a self-reinforcing model right that's how they teach the yeah, ai yeah. is that if this if more people say this is right then yeah. then it's right okay. and unfortunately that's not the way the world yeah, works well, but yeah and we'll all start using it like it's it's wikipedia or something and assume that the source is crap i mean what, 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 I think it was something you interacted with on social media. Wasn't that that um, the, the chat GPT said that HubSpot was the author of something and it absolutely totally wasn't, wasn't it? Something well, that's, like that. th there's that for sure. Yeah. You yeah, know, yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, inter it's interesting because the, the, the one that I asked it um, for the writing of the piece that I just finished was yeah. I, I used a Marshall McLuhan uh, example, you know, the medium is the message and all of that. And yeah, of course, yeah. it's a blog post around content. Of course, you bring media and of course, you bring Marshall McLuhan yeah. to bear. Yeah. And um, as one does. And uh, I asked it, I said, Oh, that's interesting, because there's a famous quote, uh, our tools, we, we, we shape our tools, and then at, thereafter, our tools shape us, mm -hmm. which is widely misattributed to Marshall McLuhan. 
Uh-huh. And I only know this because I've studied McLuhan and I know he never said it, but uh-huh. it's his idea, but it was actually something that was written by a friend of his about his ideas. Wow. And it never gets attributed to that mm-hmm. person. Mm-hmm. And so interestingly, I went to chat GPT and I said, who said we shape our tools and therefore, and thereafter our tools shape us. And it came back with, it's attributed to Marshall McLuhan. Right. And it's because the world attributes it to him. Yeah, it, it, yeah, and, yeah. and so even those simple facts, yeah, yeah. Is it, it makes it less useful than Google. Yeah. Because even if you Google that, what you'll find is people who actually correct the idea. Right, right. right. And, 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 and you, yeah. Exactly. So you'll get the yeah. abundance of, yeah. of opinions on this. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And yeah, and I... And uh, I mean, that's before you even get to the subtle things like bias, right? So if you're getting the facts wrong, right? Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. And, and that yeah. and that's another thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I was, um, yeah, yeah I mean, inspired by all this jazz that's going on about Chat, chat GPT, and also I posted on LinkedIn because I noticed the other day that Grammarly was correcting itself, so it made a bunch of. It, I was writing something, and it I made love that stuff. post of yours. I love that post. That was a fan. <laughs> it was so. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but that's what I saw. I watched it. It it, it suggested corrections. I made the corrections, and then it suggested corrections for its corrections, right? And this went on for about three iterations. And I thought, hang on, you know, is this the future? You know, and um, what I what I also was thinking about was, you know, if you think about authors that you like to read, um, you know, and I'm going to write about this out of this is it's actually personality. You've got you don't get the personality in 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 content, and that's going to be the human difference, isn't it? In content. It's going to be the personality of how you express that in those words, you know, because I was thinking about, you know, does Anne Handley accept Grammarly changes? You know, people, you know, right. proper, right, you know, I, can, I can't imagine her sitting accepting Grammarly changes because she'll want the quirks in her copy, which are exactly, you know, I think exactly. everybody knows who Anne Handley is, right? And it, yeah, so, no, that's yes, exactly right. Yeah. What a fantastic thought. So for the, um, for the non-robot written content uh, of yours, where might they find that, Robert? Uh, well, they'll find the piece that I wrote on contentmarketinginstitute.com's blog, mm-hmm. which is, as I just said, I sort of self-referenced it. It was weird, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> on contentmarketinginstitute.com. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll find that one is where I regularly write a weekly post. Excellent. I'll include a link to that in the show notes. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, they will find me not on Twitter. Well, I'm on Twitter, but I'm not on Twitter. Um, I'm sort of I'm sort of lurking in Twitter, as it were. I'm not posting anything because the yeah. man child is is basically uh, ruining the whole joint for everybody. And I don't want my content uh-huh. monetizing his nonsense. But um, I am lurking there. But mostly you'll find me on LinkedIn. I'm sort of doubling down on LinkedIn these days. Right. Splendid. All right, mate. I'll include all those links in the show notes. And most importantly for me, and it's going to be Christmas Eve. Will I see you in the bar next week? Uh, you will indeed for a, a I guess it, it will be a, a wonderful holiday version yes. of what we're doing. I yeah. very much look forward to that. Thank you very much. I'll see you then. Cheers. Cheers, buddy. Thank you, Robert. The robots writing our content is a big topic at the moment. And I'll include a link to Robert's excellent article he wrote for the Content Marketing Institute in the show notes. So <laughs> that's a wrap on episode 145 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Todd and Robert for sharing their insight. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. What do you think? Does the world need another effing marketing podcast? How about letting us know with a rating or review in your favourite podcast app? Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week with Jeff Away, I dive into the metaverse with Mark Demony, head of product strategy at Uniform and omnichannel expert Noz Urbina. And Robert will be back to celebrate the holidays in our virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.